Hi, I'm Laura. Hey, I'm Stefan, and you're listening to Attributed, a podcast library by Dream Data. The purpose of it is to store and share all the knowledge that we have gathered across Dream Data employees through our LinkedIn Lives, podcasts, and webinars. The typical topics you'll find here can be stuff like marketing, sales, B2B ads, operations, social selling, maybe. Hello, Richard. Hello, Laura. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really, really excited, but today I'm extra excited. Richard, I've been personally following you before I started posting on LinkedIn at all. And all of the insights that you have been posting about the LinkedIn algorithm and so on, it has been following each and every single presentation that we build or try to enable the team with. I'm starstruck. It's amazing. And, 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 and this is the moment where you're going to say, and it didn't work, no? Oh, it worked. Oh, it worked. Oh, okay, cool. Okay, cool. Well, That's at cool. least, you know, you have to test this for a long time so you can always get back and say, oh, you know, That's it's true. kind of, that's the algorithm or you need to post more and stuff like that. Oh, gosh, this is amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Everybody who are joining us, Richard Vanderblom today a public speaker, a trainer, a CEO, like a LinkedIn guru of the gurus that you can think of is with us. Hi, Richard. Well, go on, go on. I like the introduction, Laura. I can do that. I can do that. Like, give me like half an hour and I'll continue. No, no, no. It's, it's too much credit. No, no. I, I, I'm glad to be invited. I'm glad that and your colleagues are getting value from the things I do because in the end, that's what we're trying to achieve. So it's great to hear that. Very nice. So before we dig into the agenda... What is the official way that you introduce yourself? Yeah, that's a good one. You should think that I have an, uh, like an, an official way. I don't have an official way. Every single time that people ask me for a bio or an introduction, I write something different. So I don't feel myself a guru because I'm not very bendy like the, the yoga gurus. I would say I'm trying to be a LinkedIn specialist, a sales specialist that uses uh, insights-based tactics and strategies to improve what people are doing on LinkedIn. Basically, that's it. So, Very nice. Yeah. And in your day-to-day -day job, what do you actually do, Richard? I walk my dog. I, I try to cook Thai food. Um, now, you mean my business day-to-day? -day? Yes. Um, yes. Well, I think... It depends. So I'm traveling a lot for events. So that means going to airport, being in the venue, prepare the keynote, do the keynote, interact. But on days that I call office days, I think it's a mix that every entrepreneur recognizes. So it's like writing content, checking my mails, creating proposals, doing administration. It's not a very like push life. It's really like doing all the things that every single entrepreneur does, I guess. And I think I can be a lot more effective in what I do than I'm doing now. So pretty aware that I lose a lot of time in doing the same stuff over and over again. But how, much of, your actual, how much of your actual work is one-to-many or like consulting one-to-one -one companies that you do? So I'm the founder of Just Connecting and we are active since 2010. We were 15 people and we were globally... LinkedIn training and consultancy agency. So I would say 80% of our clients are mid-sized to big-sized enterprises companies. And working with those clients, I think 80% of what we do is involved with training either sales teams, marketing teams, 
or the two of them to leverage LinkedIn for business growth, brand awareness, lead generation. I think that's 80% of what we do. So, and what I'm doing in those projects is I'm giving a lot of inspiration sessions or as you call them, kickoff sessions. You know, when we kick off a program, I'm often being invited by the company to be on a on-site event. And then we have online training programs where a lot of those trainings are done by colleagues. Right, right. All right, let's dig into it. So today we have three topics on the agenda and I hope we could go through them along with all the questions that we've got. But the three things that we're going to speak about is how to create a winning content strategy for LinkedIn. The next one, how to convert LinkedIn engagement to real business outcomes. That's sales, probably. We'll see. And the LinkedIn algorithm 2024. That's what I learned about you for. But now we're talking about so many other things. This is amazing. Okay, so how to create a winning content strategy on LinkedIn. We see more and more companies moving over to this to say, oh, we have to enable our teams to be on LinkedIn and so on. That's exactly where we are at Dream Data as well. And we want to learn from the best. So when you start speaking with companies that want to create a content strategy on LinkedIn, what do they start with? Well, I think we need to realize that the majority of companies that come to us, they already have a content strategy. So it's not that they go like, okay, we just launched and we need to have a content. They have a content strategy. So they have, no, even if, maybe if you go one tire higher, they have a communication strategy. In the communication strategy is content strategy. And in the content strategy, it's social strategy. Okay. And still very often they have what I call an all size fits wall content strategy. So they have the same content for Instagram, Facebook, X, LinkedIn. So that's the first cut we make. So the first cut we make is say, okay, content that is suitable for Instagram, Facebook, X might not be the best content for LinkedIn. Okay. So we help them to optimize their existing corporate content strategy. That's the first thing we do. And then we ask them questions like, what's your main goal of your content strategy of a company page? Whenever the answer is not increase brand awareness, we have a problem because if they say lead generation, then we say, uh -huh. okay, that's nice, but that's not going to fly from a company page that needs to be done by your individual salespeople using some amazing content pieces, but we see very limited success with company pages actually having lead generation. Okay. So it needs to be about brand awareness. So then we discuss like, okay, what type of content can help support us to increase brand awareness? But I think that's you referring to at the start of your question, companies that don't have an active employee base, companies mm -hmm. that lack employee advocacy, they lose the battle on LinkedIn right now because yeah. that's key element number one of your content strategy, how to enable and facilitate our employees to amplify our voice. Yeah. And what should they do to get that more actively out? Okay. They've got a content strategy, but we want people to talk about it. Yeah. They should like tell people, if you don't share our post, we're going to fire you. Yes. That's the spirit. Get out. We have 10 new people for you. Nah, <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm joking. Okay. I'm joking. First of all, I think you should aim all your efforts and focus on the right people. And this might be an open door, but I see so many companies trying to convince 100% of their employees to become active and it's a drain of your energy. It's a drain of your resources. So we have what we call the 30, 50, 20 rule. 
based on 15 years of experience with LinkedIn and companies, we say like 30% of your employees are probably your real ambassadors. Okay. If you say we're going to do something new with LinkedIn, they are the ones that go, I want to be in. Okay. So that's a good thing. Then you have 50%, which we call persuadables. They don't know it yet. They are not convinced or they don't have a lot of affinity with LinkedIn. So they first want to look what the 30% are doing. And when they are successful, they will probably jump on that train and help. Okay. And then you have 20%. They have already decided before you launch any project that it's going to fail. Okay. They're on a mission to make your project fail because they are not real ambassadors. And it's unbelievable how many employee advocacy programs like are launched on the entire population of your employees. It's a failure. So aim for the 30%, make them successful. Then you will see a migration from 50%. And I tell you, if you have over 50% active, you're like, take the box, job done. Okay. Don't aim yeah. for anything higher. I mean, it's great, but 50% is already amazing. And how to do that, Laura, because that was your question. How to do that? Obviously, there are a lot of employee advocacy tools. I'm a big fan of employee advocacy tools. So there were marketing can suggest content, can help content, can yeah. maybe help people, right? I'm a big fan in the beginning stage, okay? Because mm -hmm. people might have imposter syndrome. They might have something like, oh, it's too scary. I don't want to do something wrong. So marketing, helping them in the most efficient way via a tool, perfect. But the end goal should never be that in five years from now, we're still using the tool to like facilitate our, our employees. The end goal should be that you educate your employees to have their own unique voice content strategy on LinkedIn. So you need that to facilitate people, to help them to learn how to write and engage on LinkedIn. But in the end, yeah, the ideal situation is that you don't need a tool like that. Yeah. I agree. And Mark has a follow-up question on this one. So Mark Evans is saying like 50% would like be really, really successful. How many companies do actually achieve that? Do you have any examples? None. <laughs> no, not none. Because what I meant, and it's a very good question from Mark. What I meant is that, I mean, if 50% of your population is willing every now and then to interact Okay. Mm -hmm. That's what I meant with 50%. If you look at, we have in our employee efficacy program, we have four tires, four levels. Mm -hmm. Okay. First level thought leader. Often these are executives. These are directors or people who have already a huge footprint on LinkedIn. They create their own content. And some of them even have their own channels. Like I have my own LinkedIn newsletter. I have my own YouTube channel. Okay. Those are thought leaders. So that's, you need to facilitate them, grow their communities. Second is what we call the active ambassadors. Mm -hmm. Okay. Active ambassadors is the people that are willing to interact with the company content, with the content of their colleagues, but they also publish their own LinkedIn post, but they are not thought leaders because they don't have that status. They don't have that level of seniority, but they are like amplifying your voice. And then the third one is what we call engagement advocates. So those are the ones they will never create an own post, but if you ask them to repost or to like, they will do it. So yeah. again, they are less active, but they still help. And the fourth layer is what we called uh, potential promoters. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So those are the people where we go like, okay, they don't know yet. They're not convinced yet about LinkedIn. They want to see it first. And if they are convinced, they will move up the ladder from going to engagement to active and maybe in the end to thought leader. What I meant with focus your program on 30% of the people. And if you get 20 of the middle 50 also engaged in any of the four layers, this might be liking your content. That's where you have won your job. I have never seen a company where 50% of the employees are actively publishing content yeah. with the result of brand awareness or lead generation. I mean, that would be phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really cool also to break it down like that. So you can almost break it down in your teams. Who are those people? So you can focus on each and every piece depending on where you are in the project phase. Exactly. And another advice that I always give to companies because we like to work with companies on a voluntary base with employees. I mean, we are not going to make any programs mandatory, Yeah. but when we start like creating those teams, who is, who is a thought leader, who is an active ambassador, then we ask marketing, like, who do you think that is a potential thought leader? Who do you think that should become more active? And we make a short list. Then we do an inspiration session and then we invite people to sign up for the program. Mm. And then we look at the list of the people that we wanted to be on board and the people that have registered. On average, 75% of the names are equal. So that's good because we wanted them to be on board and now they have registered themselves. Sometimes we miss people who have not like registered and we still want to have them because, hey, he's the sales director. He needs to be seen as a thought leader, okay? But then you can reach out and say like, hey, you didn't register. We think you have the potential to help us and yourself. But it's an amazing exercise to do because in this way, you create like a pyramid of employee advocacy yeah. where people can move up, you know, and they really can see the benefits and the, the company is going to profit like hugely from it. I never thought about this. This is really good because it's not you're in or you're out. You're kind of no. a supporter as well, which is great. And we're not going to push you beyond your limits. I mean, yeah. hey, I'm new to the company. I don't know. I, I want to like, I want to repost, but I, I don't want to create content. Well, then we can have a discussion or a training to help you. But if you still don't feel comfortable, okay, stay in your layer. You, we value you as an engagement enabler. Cool. But often we see that people with a bit of enablement, a bit of training, a bit of guidance that they really want to become more active and share valuable stuff. Of course, also when they have a direct profit from it. So we see that, for example, salespeople, recruiters, mm -hmm. they are often the people that go up the ladder fastest because, hey, if I reach, if I increase my brand awareness, my personal brand, if I increase my visibility, yeah. I benefit from it because I can get more candidates, I can get more leads. So that's what we currently see. Love it. And Grazia has a question in terms of KPIs. So besides moving around the layers and mapping out your team, what usually could be mapped out as reliable KPIs for employee advocacy? You can interpret the question two ways. Like what is re what are reliable KPIs for the company uh -huh. or what are reliable KPIs for each layer? Okay, for example, if we work with thought leaders, Okay, we all say like, okay, you need to have at least two channels. You need to have at least a frequency of publishing twice a week. You need to have at least X comments a week. So those are KPIs that we give to leaders because if they have less activity, 
it will not fly like we think it has the potential. From a company perspective, it can be different. So it can be that you are really going to monitor what is the total increase in mm -hmm. post reach, engagement, conversion. I mean, even if we if we ask employees, for example, like this webinar, if you ask your employees to actively promote a webinar, you can actually follow up on how many signups came via your employees if you give them a, a unique code that they can share in their post. So those are things that we can really measure from input KPIs, like how often should I do something to uh -huh. output KPIs, like how many signups did we get from the webinar coming from LinkedIn? How many demos do we have coming from LinkedIn? How many downloads from a white paper do we get coming from LinkedIn? So it depends on, there are a lot of KPIs that we can get. It depends on from which point of view. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Grazia, she mentioned from the company's KPIs, but there's one more thing in terms of the teams of how we set up. There was one more question asking about, should we have a training session for employees? And the next step, I guess the answer is yes. Then the next step, how do you usually set up rewards so it works to move the people around where they want to be in the pyramid? Obviously, I think you should train your people. You should educate them, okay? And this can be a lot of different types of training. It can be like a basic LinkedIn training, like how do I set up my profile right? Uh, how do I write a post? But it can also be more in-depth, like... If thought leaders are going to use a newsletter, for example, like how do I write a newsletter article on LinkedIn? Like what are the structures? What are the CTAs I need to use? So you have different types of training to make people more acquainted to be a content creator on LinkedIn. Okay. Again, depending on in which tire they are, which level they are. Um, when it comes to rewards, you have more or less two different types of organizations. We have organizations that say like, we don't do rewards because this is basically what we are paying them for. Okay. Yeah. So they need to be an ambassador. So it's part of their job. So we just expect if you facilitate people with trainings and tools that they do it. And you have obviously also the organizations that work with incentives. And I've seen a lot of different incentives from uh, <laughs> going uh, a Christmas weekend shopping in Harrods in London. I really saw that was the price number one to like smaller, like incentives where you can get, I don't know, a Netflix subscription or a, I don't know, it was a, an Amazon coupon. I don't know. I think you should have a look at your internal organization. So for example, we know it's very black and white, but we know that salespeople are very competitive. Okay. So if you give them an incentive, then they just like, it's like they switch on a button and they go in game mode. Like, okay, I want to win. And I think it could be, again, it could be a very good thing to have incentives when you start your employee advocacy program, but your end goal should be that there is a, like a certain motivation within your employees to be part of this and not because they want to win every year, a, a new trip to London or whatever, but it helps. It definitely helps to have incentives at the beginning of your program. Yeah. Very cool. Love this. Now we're going to talk a bit more about the engagement to real business outcomes connection. And we already have a question about that, but let's start with your ideas of, okay, does this actually drive business and how do you map it to actual business outcomes? Does what drive business? LinkedIn, you mean? Yeah. Laura? Yeah. 
Well, I, I wouldn't be here, no? If it I know, like this, I mean. but, but <laughs> a lot of people would say, oh yeah, this is vanity metrics, yada, yada, yada. And so how do you make it tangible? Oh, wait, oh, wait, 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 wait. Reach is down. Okay, we're going to discuss the algorithm in a few minutes. Yeah, reach is down. Okay, so I get so many DMs, so many of people that say like, I need your advice because my reach is down. Okay, I get so many that I can't even answer. So sorry for that. But um, reach is a vanity metric. It's how you build your ego. Even I'm still like a victim of vanity metric because if my carousel doesn't fly, I have like a bad day. Well, I know it's not about the reach. It's about engagement, but even better about conversion. Okay. So whenever people tell me, Richard, my reach is down, I get less engagement, but I have more or less the same leads. I go, so, okay, so what's the problem? Like you don't need more reach as long as you have conversion. Okay. There is so much to say about LinkedIn as a sales channel, and I'm going to drop a bomb. And I'm going to say that between 90 and 95% of old salespeople are using LinkedIn the completely wrong way. What do they um, do? What do they, what do they do that? Is well, wrong? we all, we all know that we all know how it happens. So I'm sending you an invite, Laura, I'm sending you an invite. So I have identified you as a potential prospect. I'm sending you an invite. Okay. And I do something like something sleazy, something like, wow, Laura, I saw you working there. Great post you made the other day. I really would like to connect with you to see more insights. So. I pretend I'm interested. And once you accidentally hit accept, the next thing I send you, hey, Laura, we have this really cool, amazing software. I see you work in Dream Data. When can we get, uh, schedule a call? Here's my gallery link, bam. And then they come back to us and they say like, well, they don't come back to it, but when we discuss a LinkedIn training, they say like, nah, we tried LinkedIn, it doesn't work. I said, how do you try? Well, we send out 100 emails and uh, we had only one lead. Okay, can I look at your emails? Can I look at your process? Okay, so mm -hmm. basically what you're doing, you're using LinkedIn as a cold calling instrument. It's yeah. just cold calling. The only thing is you're not using your phone, you're using your, your digital fingers. You know what I mean? So, and that's, I think, also why a lot of companies struggle. Uh, a lot of companies are under pressure. Time is important asset. So if I'm telling their salespeople, you should identify first, then I should comment for two or three weeks on Laura's content to make myself visible. So she sees my name. Then I need to send an invitation, not personalized. No, no, hyper-personalized. Something you just cannot copy paste to somebody else. Okay. Hi, Laura. I just saw that you uh, live in X on your profile. I saw your post yesterday about topic X. So, you know, this is not copy paste. Yeah. Once you accept important. The first two days, it's almost like forbidden to respond. Okay. Don't respond because the more eager you are to follow up, yeah. the more the other side thinks, okay, I'm being targeted. So what I normally do, if a client responds with an accept on my outreach next week, I'm going to set my follow-up message. And then I'm going to say, hi, Laura, thank you for accepting my connection request. Uh, we recently finished a great study about the LinkedIn algorithm. I wonder if you have seen it, if not. I'm happy to send it to you, something like that. But I need to have something valuable where I know that, hey, this is something that adds value, adds insight. Yeah. And then if people are open for a conversation, like you respond and say, hey, wow, Richard, yeah, that looks cool, send it to me. Well, then we are on speaking terms, okay? So it takes much more time than basically send a connection quest, accept it, send the pitch. Yeah, yeah. Um, which also means that I'm a huge devil's advocate for 
any automation tools, any bots, because that's exactly yeah. what they do. They go very fast. They seem to be personalized, but in this stage, we need to be hyper-personalized yeah. because personalized, yeah. having a different name and copying the company name is not personalization, okay? It's just <laughs> database merging. Exactly. But, okay, it sounds like a lot of work. And I know it that is. it comes it from... Is a place where salespeople are told, oh, you have to do X amount of calls, X amount of emails, and yes. it will compile into X amount of leads. Old times. But now you mentioned that build the advocacy programs, people post and so on. It's probably different people, sales and marketing and so on. And then you send salespeople to like join it with revenue, join it with actual meetings booked and leads booked in. But how do you actually make that connection? Because it is the content creation piece is a heavy one. Then the salespeople have to start creating their content, reaching out personalized and so on. And it's not just one-to-one. -one. If you reached out to me and booked a meeting with me, Richard, it's not necessarily I did it because of you. It could be I did it because your colleagues have been commenting and posting for so long time. So how do you join the two that is more or less the marketing job and the sales job. There are a lot of possible ways for marketing and sales to align. If you look at the paid options, for example, we see very good results with clients that use Sales Navigator for their sales. They have created lists of targeted accounts, companies, and for example, for each account, 20 decision makers or influencers. And then one month prior to their individual outreach, the company marketing imports the lead list and does a campaign sponsored on those companies and those decision makers. Okay. So that means that your buyer or your potential decision maker has seen, and he thinks it's like a coincidence in the feed already two or three times the name of dream data. And then next week, Laura from Dreaming data ends up and invites me. And it, this is like something like we're almost coding our clients. Yeah to get familiar with our names so they get a higher acceptance rate, okay? Yeah. So this is one way how a paid campaign increases brand awareness, which makes our target audience more receptive for one-on-one -on -one approach. And this is based on facts, okay? We have several companies showing that doing a campaign together with individual sales uh, navigator outreach is an acceleration of the, of the acceptance right. rate. Another thing, if somebody tells you, like, you need to optimize your profile, I agree. You need to have a unique content strategy that is aimed at the challenge needs of your target audience. I agree. You need to comment 10, 20 times a day on relevant posts, show yourself as an authority, respond to prospect. I agree. And then the leads will come. I don't agree. I mean, you can optimize your profile. You can have a content strategy. You can do commenting, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that the leads will flow because that's, this is what we are doing to generate inbound leads. Okay, but inbound needs on LinkedIn do not work the same way as inbound needs when you do, for example, email automation. Okay, right. because people have less intent to respond to your content. They absorb the content, they consume the content. Maybe they start to follow you, which are all like a step forward, but they will not take three, four steps at the same time and say, I'm following Richard, I'm connecting with him, and I'm sending him an email that we need to talk about a training. That's almost never, people need time. Yeah. If you want to accelerate that process, that means that you need to have a conversion strategy. That's very important. So 
let me give you three tips of a conversion strategy. Each week, I check my new followers. I get about 2,000 followers new a week, okay? So I dive into 2,000 new followers. I make a filter, CSO, CMO, marketing director, sales director, and all those people that belong to that target audience, on average, those are 20, 25 people. I send an invite and I say like, hey, Laura, thank you for following me. If we want to beat the algorithm and see more of each other's content, I prefer to be connected. Would you agree? That's my like almost basic invite. And I get an 80% acceptance rate. So that means I'm actively transforming followers to connection. Yeah. Okay. Second one, if I publish a post and I get, let's say, I don't know, 300 likes, there are very few people. I mean, we almost, we always look at the comments because the comments are, we get a notification that somebody yeah. commented. So you check out who has commented, maybe you respond, but liking is typical behavior of potential clients. If clients don't want to put themselves directly in your face, they prefer to give it a like. So if you check your three, 400 likes or 200 likes, if you go through the list, uh -huh. looking for potential target audience and you send them an invite saying, Hey, Laura, I just saw your like on my post about video content today. I really appreciate your engagement. May I invite you to connect to see more of each other's content? You get a, mind you, 95% acceptance rate because I'm the author, you engage and the author reach out to you. Thank you for your engagement. Let's connect. 95% of the people say, okay, yeah, because I know you provide good content. So now we have somebody who took a very limited step, like the first like we have now directly converted into a connection, which means every new content I'm putting out in the first three weeks is going to be prominent in his feed. Okay. Yeah. So talk about, and the last one is a very obvious one, profile viewers. So if you have a paid subscription, you can go back the last 90 days uh, you can even filter. So that's also something I do once a week, like, okay, who has viewed my profile target audience? send them an invite and say, Hey, Laura, thanks for visiting your, my profile. Was it something I said, something I wrote an article you see, or somebody mentioning my name? Anyway, I would like to connect with you and share valuable insights. Yeah. 75, 80% acceptance rate. And then it always surprised me how much people in our training say, yeah, but what if people don't accept? Because if people look at my profile and I'm invite, maybe that's too aggressive. So we tend to focus on the 25% that is not accepting. Well, I say that don't matter. If you call, call, you also get a lot of no requests. Don't focus on the people who not accept. You have 70 to 75% people accepting your invite. Yeah. Okay. That's where the energy is. So those are just like three very pragmatic ways how you need to have a proactive conversion strategy. And you took us over to a conversation and connection from the content. Let's say salespeople do that. How would you move that further to booking the actual meeting to get to talk to those people? So we use what we call a five-step social selling method. Okay. So identify, this is something you do yourself, desk research, who is my ideal client profile. Okay. Second, engage. So I need to show my name a few times with valuable comments. Third one, reach out. We don't do in-mails. Okay. And I know how to write good in-mails but LinkedIn gives me such a hard time by presenting it to my prospect with a bold email that people know they have been targeted. So I always go with a connection request. It's much like it's the lower barrier for people to accept. Yeah. And then the fourth step is a step that 95% of all salespeople forget. Now, 
building trust and credibility before you ask for a meeting. Yeah. So what we do, we have two, three, maybe four different pieces of content that we know are very valuable, very insightful for our target audience. This should be content that you have not earlier published on LinkedIn. So for example, I cannot use the algorithm report because that's something that is all over LinkedIn. Yeah. But I can use a benchmark into social selling that we recently finished because we haven't published that. So I can go to any sales director and say, hey, Laura, thank you for accepting my invite last week because I waited a few days. We just finished our research into the social selling state of companies in Europe. Many of our clients had great value of this uh, piece of content. I'm willing to share it with you if you think it's relevant. Please let me know if you want to receive it. So I'm offering something stating why it has huge value for them. And then I don't send it, but I ask permission to send it. And that's mm -hmm. key because if you send it, you are again in sales mode. Somebody accepts and you send something. I haven't asked for anything. Okay. So by asking it, you have three potential like follow-ups that can happen. First, people don't respond. Okay. It doesn't matter because they have connected with you. Okay. Yeah. They have connected, you have the mass connection. They are not ready to, for a conversation now, but again, from now on, they will see your content over and over again until they feel ready. Second, people saying, thank you, Richard, but I'm currently not interested because blah, 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 blah. We are too busy, other priorities, okay? doesn't matter. I tried, I will send them a message saying, hey, Laura, thank you for responding, even though I know you're busy. Um, you know where to find me if, you know, this might change and then Maybe I will try again in two or three months when I have a different piece of content. Yeah. But you also have people that say, wow, Richard, that sounds amazing. Please send me the content. And this is something psychologically. So people are now actively giving you consent to send them something. That means that I can not only send the article, but I can also send a message a week after to ask for feedback because now people feel almost obliged Yeah. because they ask you to send them something you did and now it's their turn to give feedback so some yeah. of them even come proactively with feedback if not send a message one week later and say hey did you have the time to go through my uh, uh, ebook what are your thoughts and they will come back to you and yeah. then obviously if the answer is positive if there is an opening and they say wow richard yeah this was really impressive we really have a good insight now because we are struggling with abc well, I have more content to help you uh, with these challenges, but would this be a great moment to have a 15 minute introduction call? So to make a summary, you need to have a follow-up message. If somebody accepts your connection, a so follow-up message should offer them something really insightful. Piece of content could also be an invite for a webinar free, but it needs to be very insightful. If they give you consent, to send consent to send it to them if they give you permission okay you have another message you send them the content then your third message is that you ask for feedback if you get positive feedback if you see that they are open for a conversation that's normally the moment that you can convert to initial meeting and my best tip when it comes to booking meetings 15 minutes if you ask for a 15 minute meeting you get eight times more requests or acceptance than if you ask for an hour Nice. Make the first meeting short because yeah. we all know what happens. If I book a 15 minute meeting with you, Laura, and there is a lot of synergy, there's a lot of positive energy, then we might extend that meeting for half an hour or we book a second meeting. Yeah. 
But if you ask at the beginning for an hour and people are still not completely convinced, it's very easy to say no because we're very busy. I don't have an hour. Exactly. Before we move into the algorithm questions, there's one question that a lot of people usually ask about the less active LinkedIn industries. So how can you build relationships and also engage with content of people that are actually not that much on LinkedIn? What is your advice to that? Obviously, that, that's a good question. And I'm not going to lie. I mean, if people or industry, I know there are industries that are much less active or industries wherein people are much less active on LinkedIn. The thing is that over 80% of all people on LinkedIn don't publish content. Okay. So even if we explain to people, you need to identify and then you need to engage. The first thing we hear, yeah, but my, my potential clients are not posting anything on LinkedIn. Okay. That might be the case, but some of their colleagues might. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if you look into companies like machinery companies, have a look at the marketing person of the machinery company. Have a look at the salesperson of the machinery company. Have a look at the HR person of the machinery company, because they will probably publish because HR will share vacancies, marketing will share projects or what they are doing and sales will share their solutions. Okay. So to give you an example, we have worked with an IT company in healthcare and they said, we sell software to healthcare, to hospitals, you know, or mental healthcare institutions. And those IT directors, they are not on LinkedIn. So we can almost not engage. Okay, cool. But then have a look at what marketing is doing at the healthcare institution. Have a look what HR is doing and use those posts and this information to reach out one-on-one. -on -one. So then you get a message like, hi, Laura, I just read an amazing post from your colleague Brigitte on the newest trend in blah, blah, blah. I really amazed, would like to connect with you. Another tip that you can do is have a look what you can find on websites because websites often have like a menu that is called blog or media or news and just go to the website and just start a conversation saying like, Hey, I was just made aware of this interesting article on your news, uh, or on your website, amazing project. Uh, I would like to uh, know more. Uh, can we connect for people who are not very responsive on LinkedIn? The in-mail might be a very good tool. Good Why? On. Because the in-mail is a promise from LinkedIn that they will not only deliver the message within LinkedIn, but they will also send it to the primary email. So if we have a target audience that is not very active on LinkedIn, they don't log in every week, for example, then sometimes sending an email, which means they also get a complete copy in their email is a better way to try to convert. Yeah. Awesome. That's a very good advice. Thank you very much. I think it's really insightful. All right. Algorithm. This is like the piece that everybody, all the, at least me, I'm waiting all the time. So to start with, what changed between 2023 to 2024? Hmm. Where do you want me to start? The biggest changes that you're seeing. Uh, reach is down. Mm -hmm. Engagement is down. Mm -hmm. Conversion should still be the same. So positive. Yeah. So basically, and it's interesting because yesterday, Jason friend had another article on entrepreneur.com where he interviewed Daniel Roth, who is chief editor of LinkedIn about uh, the LinkedIn algorithm. Our research was quoted in that article, by the way. And they said that, and I, I totally agree with, with Daniel Roth in this case, they said that LinkedIn is trying not to help us to go viral, but to help us to 
get more relevant reach. And based on our stats, and that's a shame because LinkedIn was not very fond of our research because they think, we, no, because they think we're negative about LinkedIn, which is absolutely not what we're trying to do. We're just trying to help people yeah. to become more active and get more success, which in the end is also good for them, no? But what he said is that they are tweaking the algorithm to not necessarily make your content go viral like in the past, but reach more relevant audience. Based on our stats, that's already happening because if I get less reach, less engagement, but my conversion is the same, and that's the case for many of people, many of our clients, that means that the lesser reach apparently has a higher conversion rate because it's more relevant, okay? Mm -hmm. So don't worry about the reach, focus on conversion. Um, our feed is changing. It becomes more and more difficult to stand out in the feed because there are more promoted posts, there are more LinkedIn advertisements. Now LinkedIn is testing with a lot of AI features, which also have a place in the timeline. So you need to do a better job to become visible in the feed. Okay. If you want to stand out with your content, you need to really like step up your game. The audience on LinkedIn, the behavior is changing a bit for the better. We have more people than a year ago that publish at least once a week. We have more people that have published at least one times in their life on LinkedIn that has substantially grown, probably because of the repost, because a repost officially counts as a post. And then we have the silent community. So the people who are only there to consume content, but are not actively engaging or creating, that is shrinking. So that's a good thing. So more and more people become active. Okay. So that's a good thing because that also means that more and more people are potentially going to engage with your content. And the last thing is what we are doing now, a LinkedIn live and an audio event. So live interactions have really increased in terms of engagement and conversion over the last year. That's really cool. It's moving over to more community, more interactions, and more like those close relationships between people. Because one thing that you also posted was like, don't leave, remember to comment after you post it, comment on others and so on. So there is so much of that community creation on LinkedIn. And then there comes the beast of AI, <laughs> like with all the mass connections, mass messaging and so on. So talk a little bit about how is that evolving? What is it that you're seeing? You know, when it comes to AI, I was invited on a on an event in uh, in Slovakia, Bratislava, to speak on stage about AI. I got a question. I felt really, I didn't know if I need, I, if I wanted to be honest, because if I'm honest, I think AI brings us at a crossing point when it comes to LinkedIn, because I don't argue the added value of AI. I mean, I'm using ChatGPT also for my own content strategy. I'm not native English, so at least I correct it for grammar. Sometimes I'm out of inspiration about a hook. So I go to ChatGPT to like, give me some provocative hooks, you know, but also sometimes I, I just brainstorm using ChatGPT like, okay, this is my target audience. This is my ideas. Give me like some titles. Okay. So there's nothing wrong with using AI, but people love shortcuts. Mm. People don't want to work hard anymore. That's basically my experience, even in real life. I'm not only talking about behind LinkedIn, but even in real life, you know, so the more shortcuts we provide to people where they don't need to think themselves and just can copy paste, the more rubbish goes to LinkedIn. And if I'm looking at things like collaborative articles with the top voice batches, if I'm looking at the, I'm now officially in a beta test where I can fill in 20 words in my posting field, and then uh -huh. I can click on create a post via AI. So then LinkedIn starts to write their own post and How bad it's a mess. Is it? 
No, it's really bad. It's really bad. <laughs> and maybe it's because my 20 words are not enough, or maybe it's because like, I don't know, they don't understand me. And I really think they can step up the game because there are already tools, creator tools that do a much better job. But my point is people are already complaining about receiving so many spammy invitations sending by bots and automation. Okay. People are complaining that they get 10 comments that are exactly the same written on their post where they know all these people are using a comment bot, okay? And I have seen some really bad, bad examples about like a post, some guy sending me DM saying, what's happening with my post? Because I got 60 comments. I never get 60 comments. Yeah. And I looked and 40 comments were exactly the same. And all those 40 people apparently were in a comment bot group. So that's very risky because if I see your name in there, I know that you have connected to a bot, which potentially risks your account. Yeah. So there are so many, I would almost say disadvantages of things that really worry me about the authenticity, the trust that LinkedIn is a people to people platform and not a robot to robot platform that I really think we are on a crossroad because I've already spoken to some C-level people that say, Richard, I'm no longer active on LinkedIn because I can show you my inbox. It's flooded by spam. It's flooded by in-mails. I'm not using it the way like I did. And if that's the case, if, yeah. if that's the trend that we see and a big part of decision makers are not active anymore or even worse, leaving the platform, then we have a serious problem because mm -hmm. then it means for recruitment, for marketing, you know, so... I'm not doubting that LinkedIn will improve the AI experience. I mean, they just started the journey and they have massive investments in product development when it comes to AI. But I do worry for the personal, the authenticity of the platform. That's my main concern now. Agree. Agree. And I'm sure that they will find ways how to do it. But so far, it feels like we're in the testing area of like useless comments on those AR articles and AI created contents like, I don't need this. Let's just all create some niche with useful content and then connect as what the platform has, how it is. Mark had a question in terms of algorithm at the very beginning of our show. I would like to pull it up. Like, why do you think LinkedIn is not that forthcoming about the algorithm and how it works really? LinkedIn has a hate-love relationship with LinkedIn content creators, especially if people are in the LinkedIn consultancy business, because in the past, there have been many cases where, for example, I know a case where a company consult 300K annual sales navigator contract because they were advised by a LinkedIn expert who never had sales navigator himself and who just wanted to sell his own trainings. Since he didn't have sales navigator, he disadvised, no, you don't need sales navigator. No, you don't need sales navigator. So they consult mm. and when the sales rep from LinkedIn advised why they said like we were advised by a person. So, and this is not, there are many cases. So LinkedIn has become very aware that there are a lot of good people out there, a lot of good LinkedIn experts created, but also a lot of people who might not have the best intentions. So what we see on other platforms, that platforms really like communicate with their biggest creators has not yet happened on LinkedIn. No. So if I look to the first question, why isn't LinkedIn more forthcoming about how the algorithm works? That's very easy because if they go more into depth, which none of all the social networks have ever done, none of the social networks share their algorithm, but if they would do it, people would adapt their strategy, yeah. which means it doesn't work anymore because if they say like this and this and this is what you need to do and we're all going to do it, then it doesn't work anymore. Okay. What do you think about LinkedIn hosting a creators conference? 
I would love the ID. I have suggested that ID many times. They do it. For example, I'm a speaker in a sales navigator conference that LinkedIn organizes. Like there are many other speakers, but so they have specific conferences. Sometimes they do offline events where they participate. So I was in an event in uh, Denmark where LinkedIn was also there, also with a speaker. I did recently the event in Holland where Marcel Molinard, who is the Benelux country manager, was also one of the speakers. So they do those kind of things, but I don't see them doing like a, a global or a big creators conference. No. It's not in their interest, to be honest. Interesting. Yeah. Well, LinkedIn is here for the ads as well. So all that that you were talking about, joining your content strategy, ad strategy with what sales are doing, and then added HR and hiring on top of that, that's probably like more of a broader scope than just creators on LinkedIn, for sure. All right. And they don't make money. They don't make money with creators. They make money, what you say, with their talent solutions, with their marketing solutions. So their revenues and their resource or their resources also go to events. Yeah that support those kind of decision makers and not content creators. Yeah, exactly. So Richard, we've got five minutes left. Uh, if there are any questions and people would like to reach out to you or read the algorithm report that is, I think, over 100 pages, where can they find you? So obviously they can find me on uh, LinkedIn. Um, so they can follow me. I still have room for about thousand connections, but you need to have a very good personal identity because I'm very picky right now. Um, the well, yeah, because if I reach thirty thousand, I need to I need to delete people in order to accept people. So, so thirty thousand is the limit of connections you can have. Yes. Okay. Yes. And it's really so. For example, if I meet a client, a new client, and I want to invite a client, or he invites me, I cannot accept before I remove somebody. So I don't want to reach the thirty thousand. Um, so on LinkedIn, we have the algorithm report. It's in my featured section. It's on. It's even on Gumroad, uh, which you can also find on my uh, LinkedIn page. It's for free. That's the most important thing. And if people follow me, like, except from all the, yeah, this is a cool uh, infographic. This is you. Um, but yes, this is the infographic that we shared. So if people follow me, except from the 123-page document, they also get a lot of snackable, more easy to digest uh, information. Really, really cool. Thank you so much, Richard. And yeah, follow Richard, follow Dream Data. Thank you, Laura. <laughs> See you, everybody. We hope you like listening to us. Subscribe to our podcast and the ones that we have been guests on. And if you have any feedback for us, uh, just do let us know. And should there be a guest that you think we should be talking to, then like pitch us. We're looking forward to seeing you.